Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. I want to tell you, the year Amber and I moved here in 2005, I want to admit to you, I was not very big into college football. I wasn't a big fan when I moved here in 2005. I was big into basketball, college basketball, but I wasn't really big into college football because you maybe guessed this, you know, in the fandom of here, but like the northern states, there are some cities that really do care about college football. But in general, in general, they don't care about college football the way Tuscaloosa cares about college football. So we moved here in 2005, and I got my first invitation to a football game, okay? And it was the Alabama versus Florida game that year. And if you are a football person, you remember 2005, Alabama versus Florida wasn't an ordinary game. I remember um, just a couple weeks ago, I was talking to the quarterback of of, uh, Alabama then, Brody Croyle, and I said, Brody, my first game ever. I said, bro, that moment that from the first play of scrimmage, you threw an 87-yard pass to Tyrone Prothrow. I said, I've never been to a game up to that point in my life or since then where the, the, every moment, the whole day long, everybody just stood up. Like, I, I've never been part of an experience where that happened, and so we continued to have that conversation, and I told him, I said, it was in that moment, it's almost like Alabama's football, the teeth, they, they got, and they never let go. You know what I mean? They grabbed a hold, and they never let go, and he said, Scott, you got to remember, and people have told me this before, you got to remember, before, before that moment, the previous years, Alabama had kind of lost its way a little bit. It kind of had gone through sanctions, it had gone through losses, it had gone through coaching changes, it had been through a bunch of stuff up to that point. It was almost like, who are we? And he said, I remember, he said, that game for you was incredible, that game for me was incredible, because we could just feel it. He said, it's almost like people in the stands, they've been holding in all of these, these emotions, and then all of a sudden, hope filled the stadium. And people just let it all out. He says, God, you felt it, but I felt it as well. He said, it's almost that, that when hope was felt that maybe we're back, passion just filled the room. And as we had that conversation, I, it just kind of recalled, and I said to him, I said, yeah, I, I feel like passion's an interesting thing. Passion's an interesting thing, and, and, and kind of how I look at passion is, is passion is a byproduct of, 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 of when you see potential of how something, how great something can be or already is. Passion seems to be a byproduct when you look at something and you're like, man, that can be so great, or maybe it already is. Now, the question this morning that I'm going to put out there for you is we're all going to be passionate about something. But what about your life? What are you passionate about right now? 
See, we're going to continue in this, our third week of this series that's simply calling See, Feel, and Act. If you haven't been part of it, if you're guest today or you missed the first two weeks, this is a simple series, but as I've told you, this is more than a series. This is kind of a bigger picture of a, of a conversation of what I think God it wants to speak to us of who are we going to be as people? Who are we going to be as One Hope Church? I have a filter for my life and how I want to live. And the filter that I have is simply this. God, today, how can I see and feel and act more like Jesus? Today, I, I literally wake up in the morning, and on, on, on my best days, I'll say. I wake up in the morning and I ask myself, Today, Scott, how can you see and feel and act more like Jesus? Because this idea that we're talking about doesn't happen by accident. This idea that we, we are talking about and have been talking about, will continue talking about, it, it doesn't happen just by chance. This is something that comes out of an intentional relationship. A relationship that we've been talking about that Jesus wants to have with you. He wants to have with you as you spend more time with him in his word, spend more time with him in prayer, and as, as we allow the Holy Spirit to speak in us. And as this happens, our relationship with God changes. And when our relationship with God changes, something is transformed in us. As we allow the relationship with God to change, something is moved in us, something changes, and the transformation that we're supposed to go through is simply called Christ-likeness. The transformation that God is trying to do in our life is to become more like Jesus, but this has to be a focus of our life. It doesn't happen by accident. So through this series, let me tell you what I want to do is I'm just giving you an invitation. I'm giving you an invitation into uh, almost to make a decision of what is your life going to be about. It's an invitation to almost look at the end of your life, and at the end of your life, we're all going to look back and say, how did I spend my days? I'm going to look back at my life and say, did I spend my days in the things that were most important? So I'm giving an invitation today. Could we make the decision right now that when we look back, the greatest desire of our heart is today. I want to become more like Jesus and that he transforms the person that I am. And so last week, we talked about how this journey begins in this relationship with God, how this transformation begins of becoming more like Jesus. And if you're here, you'll know my argument is that we become more like Jesus through first seeing the truth about who God is just like Jesus did. Jesus knew who God the Father was. And in the book of John, he says, I know this because the Father and I are one. And this is important to see because I believe how Jesus lived his life out was directly connected to how he saw the Father. 
The freedom that Jesus lived in was directly connected to who he knew he was because he knew who the Father was. And I believe when we get a vision of that ourselves, our life will change. And so my hope last week was to remind us where we see the truth about God, and we see the truth about God in the very beginning in creation. He's always been. He's all-powerful. We see the truth about God in Jesus. That Jesus was God in flesh. They were one, and we get to see how life is to be lived because God entered this world through Jesus. And then we see the truth about God in us as the Holy Spirit works. And so I'm not going to go through that whole message, but I'm going to ask you, if you did not hear that message, I want you to go back and listen because every one of these messages builds on the other. That's why I love for you to be here every week until spring break. Because each one of these messages builds on each other so we can answer that question today, how can I become more like Jesus? Now, we move on to today. And the picture I want to give you, the picture I want you to see is that when I believe when we see the truth about God, meaning it's not a passive, yeah, I know there's a God. I mean, when we see the greatness of who God is, when we see what he has done, what he is still doing, something I believe will shift in our life. When we actually have vision of God's greatness, something will move in us. And the next part of the journey of this see, feel, and act is when you see the truth about God, you will begin to have a passion for God that you have never had before. Why it's important to see the truth about God because it moves us to a place where we'll feel passion for God. I believe every single one of us is wired for passion. I believe you are created to be passionate about something. I believe you have had experiences in life that shape what you're passionate about. Passion is not a problem for humanity. Every one of us has passion for something. But I think when it comes to how it relates to God, for some of us, the passion for God isn't dialed into where he'd have us be because we haven't spent the time to see the truth of the greatness of God. We have lost sight for how great and powerful and loving that he is. And because of that, our passion wanes. Now, sometimes this happens, our passion kind of struggles because various things happen in our life in a negative way and it takes a toll on you. Maybe you've been in a place before where your passion for God is like, I, I, I just, what's wrong with me? I feel like, I just don't feel that closeness or that passion to God. Maybe it's because negative things have happened and you've just lost sight. Maybe good things have happened and sometimes when good things happen, we lose sight. We forget where goodness comes from. And sometimes in life, we're just distracted. And something grabs our attention, and we lose our vision for God. And I want to remind you, when you look at yourself, when you evaluate our, your life, 
I want you to always know that our passion for God suffers when we lose sight of who he is and what he has done in our life. If you ask the question, why don't I feel passionate about God right now? I think one of the major things that happen is our sight is moved off of God and onto something else, and we need to be aware of it. Because when we reconnect with this, things change. When we reconnect our vision of who God is, the passion for him will change. And I believe this because I've seen it over and over and over again. Maybe you have a story in your life where you've ebbed and flowed in your passion for God, but when you reconnect to the sight of who God is, that you've seen that move in your life, you have that personal story. And last year, we've seen it several times through baptism. Last year, uh, my boy Joey Foster, 35-year-old guy, came to the church, was part of the worship, had conversations, and, and, and it wasn't too long, it was several months after being here, and he has a conversation with me, and he's like, Scott, how I see God and what I've experienced here, it just, he means more to me. There was something that happened in his life, and we talked about when he got baptized, is when he saw God differently, he is a different person now. I've had the pleasure of walking through and watching him grow in his passion for God, but it started because he saw God in a new way. We saw it a few months ago with Carly Gilbert. Carly, young lady, gets in a mess in life, found herself completely off track, and then one night she sees God. He meets her in a place, and, and since then, it's, it's, it's like night and day, the person that she is. When we see God for who he is, passion begins to, to grow in us. Something is moved in us. Last week, I told you how it happened through Paul. Well, this week... I want to go to the Old Testament. This week, I want to talk about the, the lives of the Israelite people and how this happened over and over and over again in their life. And I want to share with you, I, I would say probably a top five story for me in the Old Testament. I, I just love it. Today we're going to go to the book of Ezekiel, okay? Maybe it's been a while since you've gone to Ezekiel and um, it is in the Old Testament. Um, it, it, you can use your phones, we'll, we'll go on the screen, whatever. But I want to share a story with you of life change and how this works when God moves the way he can move. Ezekiel chapter 37, and I'm going to start in verse 1. Let me read it for you, a story that I absolutely love. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. 
I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. So I prophesied as, as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and the tendons and flesh appeared to them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds and, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet as a vast army. And he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Why did God need to give Ezekiel this vision? Like, whenever we're reading Scripture, we need to ask the questions, why was this necessary? Like, I don't just want to read it and go, okay. We have to ask the question, why is this important? Why was this vision needed? Well, I think the story of the Israelites can be summed up in two words. Those two words are roller coaster all right when i was younger i really liked roller coasters i enjoyed them but i don't care if you make fun of me the older i am the more i hate roller coasters all right i don't like being thrown around i don't like going left to right up and down like it just throws me off i don't care call me old guy whatever like i, I don't care i don't want to go on them all right i'll go hang out with you there but i'm not going on the rides all right but I look at the life of the Israelites and I look and go, I think they'd like roller coasters. Because that is what their relationship with God looked like. There was, their relationship with God was up and down, left and right. There'd be moments of calm, then just sheer chaos and be flipping, going. It, 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 I think they would have loved roller coasters. Israelites, in moments, they were very much in sync with God. And then life would go on, and before you knew it, they were turning, and, and another quote-unquote God was put in front of them, and like, I'll follow that too. They were all, all over the place. And so we need to understand, why was this vision needed? Well, we need to go before Ezekiel 37, and we need to look at, put them in this place, that God needed to speak to them this way. Well, if you look at Ezekiel 36, you can always go back on your own time, but I'll tell you, God is speaking to Ezekiel, and what he's telling them, he says, my people have lost a vision for who they are. And he tells them, the reason that they've lost a vision for who they are is because they've lost vision of who I am. 
And so he begins to speak to them, and he's like, listen, the people, in my words, they're, they're once again flaky, they're once again inconsistent, they're once again in this battle of what's going to be the most important to them. And so because of events that have happened, these people, they're in exile. They were scattered, okay? They're scattered because they've lost a vision of who God is. And through a series of decisions in their life, they not only are scattered, but they, in their words, they've lost their hope. But in Ezekiel 36, God does what God does all the time for humanity. He does it in this moment. He does it for us all the time. God has this conversation. He calls them out. He speaks truth to them. But in speaking the truth to them, he also declares, hey, this is the reality of your situation, but I'm still God. And I want to do a work in redeeming and restoring my people. He would once again bring hope and a vision of a future that he had for them, but he needed to do a work in them first. And so this vision of Ezekiel is important. It's a vision to, through Ezekiel to help the people see actually the state that they are in. And then he also needs to speak to them, hey, I see who you are but I also need you to see what I'm going to do about it. Notice Ezekiel. Over and over, he reminds the people who God is. He says, Sovereign Lord, over and over. He said he is the Lord over and over again. In this vision, it needed to be reminded that you've got to see who I am. That the people, since they had lost a vision for who he was, they needed to re-see that in order for their life to come back together. They need to see his power again. They need to see his forgiveness again. They need to see his love again. They need to see that he hadn't forgot them again. That through Ezekiel... God is showing them again who he is. And so Ezekiel does what God tells him to do. And you see what happens. The result is life is brought back into the people. A people who this is not about physical death. This is about how God saw them as people who were dead. They were dead in their passion for God. They're dead in their passion for, for people. They're dead in passion for their purpose in life. They were just dead. And, and, and God shows them, listen, I'm going to bring life. And this is what he did. The people, the bones that were dead are restored back to life. I love this story because it reminds me that God always sees who we are, but God never gives up in what he wants to do with us. That we are never lost causes, but he doesn't let us sit in our own mess. If we will allow him, he grabs a hold of us and says, I know where you are, but this is where I want you to be. And if we continue to read this story past chapter 37, you see that, that, that uh, the result of people experiencing God, their renewed passion is there. Hope fills them, and passion or life uh, is brought back to the people, and they're 
as I read it, there are three major places that passion is brought in. And it's one is they have a renewed passion for God's truth. The second thing is they have a renewed passion for repentance. Number three is they have a renewed passion for a lifestyle of worship. Now, I want to walk through those, but I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of something about passion. Passion is not just a spontaneous uh, emotional response to something. When we talk about passion, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? It's fanatical, loud, just like a a stirring, and and all of a sudden it's it's an emotion that rises to the top. It's not just a spontaneous emotion. I think passion is really seen when something becomes a priority, which is seen then through decisions that are made in someone's life. Passion is not just an emotion that comes to the top and then for a moment you're just, you're, you're over, over the top. I think real passion, the passion that God wants us to have for Him, a passion that is sustained, a passion that really changes our life is one where we decide what's the biggest priority and now life decisions follow that in a consistent basis. Passion is not just this. Passion can be sustained. And so what I see in these people's lives, the Israelites, is a renewed passion for God's truth. See, if you continue to, to read this story, that the, the Israelites, as their eyes are open and they see who God is, all of a sudden they began to care about what God had to say. And this is a very big deal, that their transition is they cared about his words, his truth, more than they cared about their own. And I'll tell you, when we begin to care more about our own thoughts and our own truth more than what he has to say to us, it says something about our passion. When we care more about our own perspectives than his perspectives, when we care more about, get this, more about what he does for us versus what he wants to say to us, It should speak to us about where our passion is. Are we passionate about God, or are we passionate about just getting things from God? And these are two different things. And what we see in these Israelites is they became people who says, God, we want to hear what you have to say to us. You know, one of the reasons we even made these books that we wanted to put in your hands and just make them free. Because we wanted to put you, for those who wasn't a regular habit, we want to put you in front of God's word again on a regular basis. I don't want you to feel shame in this. I want you to know that if you have a hard time making consistent time with God in his word, you're not alone because a lot of people struggle with this. And so we wanted to build something, say, hey, we want to put you back in his word. We want to put you in a place where you can speak to him and he speak to you through prayer that you get back to this caring about what God has to say to us. Because I believe when we care about what God has to say to us something is grown in us and i will just tell you if you don't care about what god has to say 
then we need to stop saying he's the most important thing in my life. And that is not to put guilt on you or to be like a mic drop moment. I don't really care about those. I want us to be honest with ourselves. If we don't care to put ourselves in the presence of God and to hear what he has to say to us, either through the Holy Spirit um, or his word, and have that conversation. If we don't care about that, how can we say God is the most important thing in us? We will know our passion for God based on how much we care about what he has to say to us, his truth to us. We see it in the Israelites, but where do we sit in this? The second thing is there, you see there's a renewed passion uh, for repentance. A renewed passion for repentance. The response to listening to God, I want to tell you this, as we hear his truth, is we will see how off we are compared to where he wants us. What we see in the Israelites is as they hear God's truth, they begin to see, oh wow, we got way off over here versus where he wanted us. They were in exile. They were scattered. They were without vision. They're without hope. But when they allow God to begin to speak into their life, all of a sudden they had a vision of, oh, I am off. And their response was a posture of humility in owning their sin. They had a, 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 a passion to own where they were in life and to repent, to confess, to own, to acknowledge, to say, God, I see you, I hear you, and I'm realizing where I am in life. And I love looking at their story because I believe a direct response to seeing the truth about God is we begin to see the truth about ourselves. And when we see the truth about ourselves, we see us in the light of who God is, and it exposes those areas that are destroying us. That is what sin is. It's just going against who God have you to be, and it's always, uh, in, it always will destroy us. Sin is always destructive. What I see in them is a people who say, God, I'm sorry. God, I confess. You know what the beautiful thing about God is when it comes to repentance? He has never and will never reject a posture of humility in repentance. That your vehicle to restoration is always through repentance. And some of us never experience the freedom in Christ that he wants for us because we won't have a repentant heart. Um, just so sidebar for a moment. Um, I don't know if you've been seeing this in the news, but there's a university called Asbury University in Kentucky, uh, Wilmore, Kentucky. It's actually where I graduated high school. And if you see in the news right now, they started a, uh, a, a chapel service on Wednesday. And as of this moment right now, that chapel service is still going on. 96 hours. And I have friends who are there. What they're telling me is, Scott, the, one of the most prevailing 
things that we're seeing in people is a spirit of humility and people are gathering around and repenting of sin and they're feeling a release they're experiencing a release and passion is filling this space as the holy spirit brings to their attention the sight of themselves in comparison to God, this, this humility, this posturing of repentance is changing people's lives. And some of us never have the real deep life change because we don't have a passion for that confession of sin, that repenting and turning God's way. I tell you that story to one, be praying for them. People are coming from all over the country to Asbury right now. It's a pretty incredible thing. Maybe you can check it out after service. But it doesn't have to happen just there. It can happen here because God's presence can, just be, can be just as powerful here as it is there. Because as I said last week, God is omnipresent. We can't go anywhere where he isn't. But how aware and how open and how much do we desire to be in his presence? The third thing is this. I saw in them a renewed passion for a lifestyle of worship. A renewed passion for a lifestyle of worship. One of the cool things you see in the story in the chapters after is they begin to rebuild the temple and, and begin to redo um, offerings of sacrifices. And, and once again, you got to remember, this is pre-Jesus, right? So the relationship with God is in, a, is in they have a place of worship, but the relationship with God and, and the redemption and, and the restoration come through sacrifice in the Old Testament. And this is what you see. They build the, they build the, the temple up, and, and, and their, their life changes because, because there's two places or two ways their worship changed. Is they, they desired to meet together in worship, and they desired to worship individually with God. That you see that all of a sudden what they cared about changed. And what they were doing before was, was their own thing. All of a sudden they gathered together in this, in this place of worship and they worship God together. But then also their life, decisions are made and, and lifestyle changed. When we see the greatness of God, we will want to worship God. I believe this. When we see the truth and the greatness of God, something moves in us, and we will want to have a lifestyle of worship. Now, I want to hear, tell you, worship is not just what we typically think of as music and singing. That's a part of worship. But when I think of worship, I think about like what consumes me in life. What am I giving myself to in life? When I think of lifestyle of worship, I'm looking at all facets, facets of my life, and I begin to ask myself the question this week, Scott, what consumes your life? How are you worshiping with your life? And so, for myself, the four places I ask myself were, what's consuming me? What's consuming my time? What's consuming my mind? what's consuming my money and what's consuming my emotions. Scott, where am I spending my time? Once again, are we spending it in prayer? Are we spending it in the word? Are we spending it having conversations about God? Where am I spending my time? What am I giving myself to? My mind, what am I thinking about? 
What is my mind processing? Because what I think about shows what I really care about. Scott, with your money, I mean, because money, I, I've told you this before, can be very much a God. It can be an idol. We can worship it. But you want to talk, you want to know what you're passionate about? Follow the money trail. We say this in all aspects of life. Follow the money. Last one, your emotions. What are you emotionally attached to? What have you given yourself to? What consumes you? And you'll see what your life is all about. What I see in the Israelites is they were passionate about God as he brought new life into them. It started with a lost vision of God, but as they saw him again, something moved in them. And once again, the simple question is, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about right now? Do you need a new vision of God so you'll feel a renewed passion for him? Is this something you need to be praying about? Is this something you is there something that owns you that you need to give over to God? Is there something in your life that's holding you back from being passionate to him? What consumes you? Y'all, I want us to be a church, a people that's passionate about coming together and worshiping, but also when we leave that we're still worshiping God through our life. When we see the truth about God, I believe we'll feel a passion for God. How are you doing right now? Heavenly Father, you want a relationship with us. And I believe you are speaking to your church right now. You're speaking to your church, and I, and I believe you want to remind us again that if we've lost a vision for you, we'll lose a passion for you. When we lose the vision of your greatness, Heavenly Father, we will, will, will be lacking in this relationship that, that we'll be passionate about things of this world way more than we're passionate for you, God. So, Heavenly Father, will you speak to us? As we close in worship, will you speak to us? As we sing praises to you, will you show us areas of our life that maybe that, that we are passionate about things that more than we're passionate for you? And God, if that's the case, will you just remind us in deep places of your greatness so that through our life, you are the thing that matters the most. You are the priority. And our decisions that follow that will show how much we love you. So God, more than this message, I ask for your Holy Spirit to speak to your people. And show us, just like you showed the Israelites, this is where we are. And if there are dry bones in this place or online as people listen, God, will you show us yourself so you can bring new life again? It's your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.